We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hello and welcome to Novel Feelings, where two psychologists take a deep dive into your favourite books. I'm Priscilla. And I'm Elise. And welcome to episode three of season three. Today we are reviewing Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. Remember to follow us on social media at novel underscore feelings everywhere. Plus, we have a reading challenge going on, which is up on the Storygraph and on Instagram. Thank you to everyone who's been adding books to the prompts as well. We checked it again the other day and noticed a whole bunch of books that we definitely did not add ourselves. (laughs) And we will announce our July book at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. But first, (laughs) hey, Elise, how would you rate your week on a five-point scale? Uh, good question. I did not think about this before we headed into the episode, so I've not prepared a uh, pithy little uh, mm-hmm. segment here. I would give my week a, probably a 3.5 out of 5 juggling balls. I don't yeah. know. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Just because yes. I feel like I'm juggling a lot of things at the moment and I have mm-hmm. like 50 things on my plate that I'm trying to chip away at. So some of it's PhD things, mm-hmm. some of it's work things, some of it's teaching and supervising things um and then life admin things as well so some of it's good as well like Mm. I shouldn't say it's it's not all bad things um for example I'm doing some fun stuff at the moment I'm making a costume at the moment for an event that I'm attending in June like a medieval costume which should be fun I'm also hoping to go to Europe later this year for a conference so just I've been sort of planning a little bit for that and seeing if I get into the conference so that I can actually get funding to go. Uh, But yeah, lots of, just lots of things on my plate at the moment. Yeah. I actually have thought about this and I still don't have something. (laughs) I would say I would give it three out of five dancing shoes is more because I feel like, so I don't think we have ever mentioned this on the podcast, but you and I are part of a dancing class. We're full of surprises, aren't we? I know. <laughs> we are nerds, but we also love dancing Beyonce. So, <laughs> um, Yes, so our performance is coming up at the end of this month and I feel a little bit underprepared. This is what happens of missing two classes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, look, I have not missed those classes and I'm feeling a bit underprepared as well. Yeah. Okay. Good to know I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. Look, we, uh, I love our class and I love our teacher, but we have had mm. a lot of, uh, people that have had to miss quite a few weeks, which has made it difficult for the whole group to kind of come together and mm. do positions and transitions and all of that sort of stuff. And I feel like we're just sort of rehashing things a lot. Though after last week, yeah. I'm feeling a bit more confident because I feel like we finally got through something that looked somewhat yeah. cohesive, not polished, but at least we kind of got through a whole routine last week. It's just more the polishing and the actual attitude that goes along with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be Beyonce fierce when you're worrying about like what step you're going to do next. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, our, our 
instructor keeps saying like play with the audience I'm like I don't want to make eye contact with anyone because <laughs> like then I will forget what I'm doing don't look at me yeah <laughs> I'm sure it'll come together we're going to do some extra practice next week as well that's right yes but it's three out of five mostly because I'm trying to practice more as well yes. Fair enough. In terms of five-star ratings, just a reminder to everyone, please do rate and review us. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will give you a shout-out in a future episode. And uh, this month we've actually decided to highlight our first ever five-star review, which was from our friend Matt, who is a loyal fan of the show. Matt said, a fantastic podcast about mental health representation in fiction. Priscilla and Elise approach the subject with empathy and curiosity, and each episode provide a great resource for people looking to see more mental health rep in the media they consume. Thank you so much, Matt. We always appreciate your support. And before we get started on our review, our usual disclaimers. Each episode has two parts. We start with the non-spoilers, and then we dive into the spoilers. We'll flag when we're about to go into the spoilery bits. This podcast should never be taken as therapeutic advice. We are speaking today as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily from lived experiences that are covered in this book. Most importantly, perhaps, we're not Black women, so our voices are limited this way. If you have any of the lived experiences covered in this book, please do let us know what you think of the book. Very uh, important disclaimer at the end there. Uh, Anyway, a little bit more about the author. So Candice Carty-Williams is a showrunner, culture writer, and author of Book of the Year, award-winning, and Sunday Times bestselling Queenie, as well as other novellas and books. In 2016, Candice created and launched The Guardian and Fourth Estate Short Story Prize for Underrepresented Writers, the first inclusive initiative of its kind in book publishing. She is the former Guardian Review Books columnist and has written for a number of publications. And a quick note that Queenie is uh, going to be adapted as well for Channel 4 and Disney, which is really exciting. Plus, she has an original drama, Champion, which will be airing on BBC One in the UK and on Netflix globally in 2023, which I didn't know. So I'm going to have to check that out um, once that goes up. Same. I'm curious whether this will air on Disney. Queenie, that is, considering it's very adult themes. It might be on star original or whatever their mm. adult slash non-children yeah. <laughs> non-children disney subsidiary is yeah that would make sense mm. um here's a little bit about the book queenie jenkins is a 25 year old jamaican british woman living in london straddling two cultures and slotting neatly into neither she works at a national newspaper where she's constantly forced to compare herself to her white middle-class peers. After a messy breakup from her long-term white boyfriend, Queenie seeks comfort in all the wrong places, including several hazardous men who do a good job of occupying brain space and a bad job of affirming self-worth. As Queenie careens from one questionable decision to another, she finds herself wondering, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who do you want to be? All of the questions today's woman must face in a world trying to answer them for her. And Queenie was actually my recommendation. So I read this book last year and it's been kind of simmering in my mind ever since. 
So I ended up choosing it as one of my top three favorite books of the year because I found it so touching and really memorable as well. Mm. Um, And you might have heard this book compared to Bridget Jones as well. The author herself has called the book Black Bridget Jones, which is quite interesting. Uh, It's not not in the sense that it's a rom-com, I guess. No. This book is definitely not a rom-com. <laughs> it is about a young woman, though, who's trying to find herself and cope mm. with some funny but also very serious situations. Yeah, I actually have never watched or read Bridget Jones. so Neither have I. So my, uh, mm. my little description there is very much just based on my popular culture understanding yeah. <laughs> of Bridget Jones. Same. But, yeah, tone-wise, I you know, again, without knowing without having ever watched the actual movie or read the actual book. Yeah, there are some comparable elements, but perhaps, you know, it's not a direct comparison. No, definitely not. But uh, Mm -hmm. look, in case uh, you haven't gathered, in terms of the topics we're covering today, so we will be talking about some traumatic experiences, particularly in terms of experiences of domestic violence. We're going to be talking a bit about attachment issues as well, so how relationships with our caregivers and our early experiences shape how we relate to others. Uh, And then some themes including racism as experienced by Queenie, who is a black woman, cultural approaches and understandings of mental illness, and probably quite a bit about, let's just say, unhealthy sexual relationships, including Mm. sexual coercion and some pretty pretty significant issues with consent as well. Yep. Um, Some other themes that we might touch upon include miscarriage and cheating. Yes. All right. So with all that in mind, we should probably also note that there are some funny moments in here and definitely some lighter things, but uh, some some topics to dive into. But let's start and dive into part one with our non-spoiler discussion and review. Look, Queenie starts off reasonably lighthearted as we follow Queenie Jenkins through her relationships, how she's coping after the breakup with her long-term boyfriend, struggling with work, seeking support of her friends and so on, uh, almost rom-com-esque. But then things keep getting darker and more intense as the book goes along. So I know that you, Priscilla, had been putting off reading it for a while, but what were you actually expecting going into the book? Did it meet your expectations? I was expecting some romantic slash sexual misadventures, I suppose, And I kind of thought that one of those situations was going to turn into a domestic violence situation when one of the guys started being really persistent. I was like, "Mm, is this going to be a really unhealthy dynamic or is he going to turn stalkery? You know, what genre are we sitting in? (laughs) That was a big question, I think. What genre is this? Mm, Yeah, I mean... It's not romance for sure. And I don't like the term women's fiction, but, you know, I don't think it's that either. I think it's probably, it would probably get shelf in like the general fiction section of the bookshop. I guess it's just a really interesting character study and examination of red flags and relationships, (laughs) the things that can go wrong and for various reasons with, of course, the added layer of uh, race as well. 
Um, I was thinking of if I have read anything like it before and it's definitely not a direct comparison, but the only book that kind of comes to mind, uh, which I'll explain in a moment is uh, it ends with us by Colleen Hoover in terms of the fact that I was going into that book expecting one genre and it ended up being a different genre. Yeah. And uh, what about Queenie, the character, what were your overall impressions of her? Uh, my first reaction is to say I felt really sad for her mm. at the beginning. I think if she was my one of my close friends, I would find the whole thing very hard to watch. Yeah. Because she, yeah, yeah. She, it's almost like she dissociates through life for a little bit and would just like go along with whatever was the easiest choice and whatever would make her feel loved in that moment. Mm, that's a good way to phrase it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a reader, it's like, ah, please don't do that. Um, but you can also see the emotional conflict that's happening for her as she makes those decisions or rather kind of just like zombie walks into the decisions. Um, so I I felt a lot of compassion for her. Mm. Yeah, it was definitely difficult reading her point of view at times and w- watching the decision-making play mm. out and mm. the consequences of her actions and other people's actions throughout the book too. Mm. Uh, there were definitely times where I wanted to, I guess, shake her, but more so shake the people that she was with at times who were taking advantage of her and her emotional state um, or her her mental state at that time. Mm. There are a few healthy friendships and family relationships in this book. There are no healthy romantic relationships <laughs> that Queenie experiences in this book. So it yeah. was definitely a frustrating read and we'll dive more into those, of course, in the spoiler section. But I didn't necessarily want her to end up with somebody, but it did feel difficult at times reading just awful thing after awful thing happening, even though it was punctuated mm. by moments of humour and lightness and, you yeah. know, fun fun friendships. And it, it felt like it was uh, you're watching a train crash happening. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> um, let's chat about the um, attachment issues that we kind of alluded to when we talked about the themes. Mm. So Queenie's breakup with her long-term white boyfriend Tom is the catalyst for the story they broke up well we kind of get more of an idea about their dynamic as the story unfolds but initially we just were kind of told that he's over the way she stonewalls him whenever Mm -hmm. she feels upset is that what you initially got as well yeah I guess I got the impression that they were just constantly in conflict with each mm. other, um, that there wasn't really a lot of peace in that relationship or easiness in mm. that relationship. Yeah. And that that, I guess, came from both sides in a way. Um, yeah. Obviously we see Queenie's point of view and we see some very real things that Tom mm. was doing mm. that were very unfair to her, um, which we'll dive into a little bit further down the track, but also how she often was quite unfair to him as well and would um, shut down or be accusatory and and so mm-hmm. on, which, you know, was not great for either of them, I think, because she struggled to communicate how she was feeling and he didn't know how to, mm-hmm. how to support her effectively. Yeah, I think initially Queenie was very 
rose-colored glasses about the whole thing and was very yeah. like I don't understand what happened and and yeah. then he slowly <laughs> gets bits and pieces and like huh this relationship might have been problematic for a long yes. time yeah and uh from Queenie's perspective they're on a break as well yeah um, though the terms of that break are unclear and definitely sound more like a breakup to the reader. So she's moved out. Mm. She's saying it's a few months time, but there's no clear sort of boundaries around what this break means. Mm. She definitely has the impression that it's okay to sleep with other people, but hates the thought of him doing that. She keeps mm. trying to contact him and call him. He ignores her or tells her that he wants a clean break. So they clearly have different perspectives about what this breakup means and it sets off some anxieties for Queenie yeah you do get the sense very early on that they are not communicating in any healthy way no (laughs) and I'm also of the long-term belief ever since uh watching the whole we were on a break incident in friends that (laughs) if you go on a break both parties need to know what the break means and what the terms of that are (laughs) Every time Queenie said, we're on a break, I can just imagine Ross screaming, we were on a break. We're on a break. <laughs> like, yes, but oh, as I say, like, but what is the break? Yeah, <laughs> What exactly. does it mean? Uh, yes. So mm-hmm. look, in terms of the attachment that Queenie has with Tom, she definitely has this push-pull relationship with him where we can see that while they were together, she simultaneously wanted to feel loved and wanted his comfort Mm. and so on but struggled with emotional closeness and would push push him away and just have difficulties at the times when things were not easy I guess I think it's also important to note that the race component is is a part of what's going on Tom does not do a good job at protecting Queenie from (sighs) I don't even want to say microaggression, like some of the things that happen. <laughs> Explicitly <laughs> racism here. Yeah. yeah. So we, we see a range of, I guess, um, micro things from microaggressions to much more explicit and above the surface of the iceberg <laughs> kind mm. of racism from Tom's family. And he, it's not so much protecting her, but defending her or empowering her to, to stand up like he he just kind of expects her to absorb it or laugh it off um often under the guise of like oh you know my family are old and they don't know any better and they're not going to change and so on which is an ongoing understandable source of conflict for the two of them yeah and I guess you know I'm in a what do you call this kind of relationship no not biracial mixed race yeah so I am in a mixed race relationship where my you know fiance is white and I feel like if I if anything like what happened to Queenie happened to me that would be the end of the relationship you know (laughs) if he didn't stand up for me if someone said something racist then like yeah no no relationship (laughs) that should be a deal breaker yeah so like how did she put up with it for three years I think it's those rose-colored glasses um Mm. you know we don't we don't really get a lot of Queenie's relationship history prior to Tom but we get a lot of it after Tom and we can see Mm. that her the things that she puts up with in relationships Mm. is not great and you know I'm not I don't want to put all the 
responsibility on her for this no. um, because ultimately they're the people, they're the ones that were treating her poorly. Yeah. But there's something about the horrible, horrible men that she <laughs> encounters in this book that there's clearly a pattern of just uh, devaluing herself um, mm. and letting other people in sexual relationships take the lead and not in a fun way in a yeah. in a not so great way and you know she uses casual sex in this book to feel to feel loved and wanted and connection but it's more like filling a bit of an emotional void I think mm. and we will unpack a bit more about the root of the potential root of all of these you know attachment difficulties and you know I do wonder as well how much she's internalized. I don't know if internalized is the right word for it, but we get glimpses of how society dehumanizes her Hmm. and potentially black women in general. And it's a bit, yeah. I wonder how much of her actions partly is an internalization of that. I don't Hmm. know if I'm making any sense. No, I think I... I get what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so the way that society has historically treated black women, um, yeah. you know, she, I think she can sort of externally talk mm-hmm. about a lot of these issues and understand her self-worth. And, you know, there's quite a clear, mm-hmm. I guess, theme around black, black lives matter and standing up for the real stories and the real things that matter in this mm-hmm. book. Um, you know, we get storylines about her, for example, pitching, Picturing stories about like racial violence towards uh, black people in her job um, at the newspaper and that being shut down and, you know, she understands the importance of this but is not in a world, (laughs) not in a community that is really allowing her to put that forward and to to validate her concerns, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But to pivot back to... The horrible men in mm, yeah. in this story. There there are no good men here, like except maybe like her her grandpa. Her grandpa? Yeah. yeah, like none of the men Queenie encounters is good no. or even decent in any way. It's it's it makes me so glad to be not dating anymore. <laughs> We've talked before about books, not on the podcast necessarily, but about about books that sort of present. Gonna, this is going to sound blunt, but like present all men as being horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, did, did that bother you in this novel, that sort of portrayal? Um, I didn't realise it until the end that that was mm. the case. I think the message that I got wasn't that all men are trash. The message was Queenie was you know, because of the circumstances in her life and the way she wanted to feel valued but not able to go about fulfilling her needs in a healthy way, she engaged with men who are not very good. Mm. So I guess so. it's a snapshot of where she was in, the, in her life and the kind of people that she subconsciously is attracted to or, you know, attracts. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I feel similarly. Um, yeah. cuz I've read some books before that feel like a very 
simplistic all men bad kind of mm. situation and I I'm not gonna be a, like a not all men kind of person no. here by any means because yeah. the reality I mean, is too many men <laughs> yeah but I have read books before where I just come out of it feeling really dejected and mm-hmm. like a lack of nuance um yeah. and I didn't get that from this book I didn't come out of it feeling like that was the point that the author was trying to get across it was much more yeah there was more psychological depth to it than just misogyny is bad there were many yeah. more many more layers to unpack yeah agreed but oh my god <laughs> yeah it's too many horrible dates <laughs> yeah we'll talk about some of the men a bit more in the next section absolutely uh, but let's touch on the trauma yay trauma yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry we've got our videos on and you were like smiling as you said that so i just i'm like oh i'm so excited about all the trauma oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> so in this book we've got a bit of a running theme of intergenerational trauma in queenie's family so her grandmother, for example, became pregnant at 14. Um, we learn about Queenie's mother's experience with domestic violence at the hands of her stepfather and the resulting fractured relationship that Queenie has with her mother and the sort of mentions in the family about how all of them are carrying their emotional pain or their burden throughout life. Absolutely. And there's a real soldier on attitude about it as well. Mm-hmm that you know they don't want to talk about it like why why are you complaining we all have got our stuff to carry Mm. kind of attitude at the beginning at least the book explores how queenie's experiences with her own trauma informs or shapes her you know you know how we talked about before how did she put up with you know this racist family for three years for example and said nothing Mm. while it was all happening we get you know as the story unfolds we get more and more of an explanation why she doesn't speak up or well she she does things she does she does a little bit but not perhaps in the healthiest or most healthy she gets angry about it Mm. but it's never it, it never seems to be a deal breaker for her yeah it's just it's a cause of conflict but she still wants you know, she, she still wants to continue that relationship with Tom, even though they just continue to uh, fight about this and he continues to not stand up for her about it. Yeah. But also I think apart from that relationship, she says she tries to assert her boundaries with a lot of characters in the book. I can think of two men in particular where she explicitly says to them, you know, I don't want that or please don't talk to me anymore. And they just kept violating that boundary over and over again. Mm. And again, that's the men's problems and they're clearly trash for doing that. Um, But there are moments where she would say what she was feeling and again, kind of dissociates. That was the feeling I get anyway, that she would just stop trying. And you can understand Giving in to... Yeah, sort of just letting them have their way in whatever way that might be. Yeah, and as the story goes, we see why that is. And uh, there's also an interesting layer. Um, You mentioned before that sort of grin and bear it attitude that Mm. her family has. Um, You know, we see as the story goes on a bit of her family and her culture's 
beliefs around whether mental illness is real or valid, Mm -hmm. as well as the stigma of going to therapy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll touch on this more later on, but that's something that is, let's just say, untangled as the book goes on. Yeah. This book is actually hard to talk about without spoiling stuff. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) We've already sort of touched the next thing that we wanted to talk about, which was racism um because everything's linked it's very difficult to talk about Mm. this one topic after the other because everything's quite connected so yeah I just wanted to highlight a quote from the author from an interview in the Guardian where she said Queenie was so much about blackness in response to whiteness and we see of course Queenie encountering racism in many aspects of her life so we've spoken about with Tom's family, but also at work while dating and the dating app experience, mm. even at acquaintances' parties. Uh, yeah. It's just kind of inescapable for her. So we touched on racism as well in our Tiger Daughter episode, but it's worth pointing out that the experiences of Black people and Asian people, like even within Asia, um, mm. racism looks very different for mm. each of these minorities Mm -hmm. so you know say my experience and queenies even in the way you know white men might fetishize us would look quite different as well yeah Mm. and we definitely see in this book depictions of uh fetishizing of black girls and black bodies the so-called white allies the i'm not Mm. racist but types and devil's advocate types um as well as microaggressions for example a moment where her boss assumes that she likes quote-unquote urban music and so on what even is urban music (laughs) it's a good question actually (laughs) yeah it's very good in terms of how it explores racism and quite explicitly talks about things like black lives matter and uh some of those very large-scale social movements as well so we see it at the sort of a small one-to-one level with Queenie, but the book also definitely is contextualized as a lot of the very important social movements that are happening um, at the time. Yeah. I say at the time the book was written, like, no, still happening now for sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say it's a very handy, you know, very handy guideline for how to respond to this. I'm not racist, but pe- people, mm. Because she actually has an argument where she spells out where she spells out why being the devil's advocates in these sort of conversations is a terrible thing. I don't think this is a spoiler to just have this line out of context, but yeah, the line is that's the thing about people who love to play devil's advocate. I shouted, "There's no emotional involvement in it for you. There's nothing at stake." Mm-hmm. And if if you've ever gotten in an argument with someone who's playing devil's advocate around a topic that you care about and they do not care about, yeah. <laughs> you'll probably relate to that in some capacity. Absolutely. Another notable theme to touch on is the female friendship in this book, mm. which is always something I am intrigued by in novels because I like portrayals of complex female friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, so Queenie has three best friends at least at the start of the book Mm -hmm. um and she calls them the corgis because (laughs) she's the queen (laughs) the corgis love her queen (laughs) (laughs) so we've got her work friend work friend uh darcy we've got cheska who she's known since primary school i think yeah they go way back 
some something yep. like that. School. And got, yeah. And we've got Cassandra, who she met at uni. Yeah, I I really liked these three. I mean, like in terms of their characterization. Um, yeah. I appreciated that they all had very distinct personalities and backstories. Mm-hmm. And I liked the dynamic between the three of them as yeah. well. Um, yeah. And even though a lot of this book is them providing emotional support to Queenie, mm-hmm. um, they still feel all feel like their own characters, which I really liked. Yeah, absolutely. And I think their friendships are layered here in that, as you say, it's about them supporting Queenie, but there are moments as well where they clearly disagree mm. with what she's doing we're getting we're getting very close <laughs> yeah. to spoilers yeah <laughs> let's just say there's one friend who we have some problems with for yes we have reasons. thoughts mm-hmm. we have thoughts yeah um should we do our overall reviews and star rating because bef- i think we're running out of things we can say with yeah <laughs> yeah all right well what's your what is your star review for this book uh i gave queenie four and a half out of five stars uh, it is very hard to read at times, but I do think it's quite an important book and a really great character study. So a great example of how you can have a flawed character who is still for the most part, in my opinion, very likable um, and very easy to feel a lot of empathy for, even if she's not doing the best thing a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think the most interesting relationship in this book uh which is largely about relationships is between Queenie and herself and one that needs the most healing as well. And it did make me laugh out loud at times. There are lots of moments of lightness that are among the darker themes too. Um, I was giggling in the car, listening to the audiobook a couple of times. So <laughs> I do appreciate that. Uh, how about you? What would you rate it out of five? I gave this a four and a half out of five stars as well. So I think this is a book that's really well written. Some of the things that happen are quite horrifying mm. and it's really mm-hmm. hard to read Queenie being in these situations and making certain decisions. Um, but there's also a lot of lightness and it ended on a tone of hope, which is really lovely. Yeah, um, All the characters have a really strong voice and I, I could really feel Queenie's emotions as we go through the story which is probably part of what made it hard to read as well. But I'm really glad I finally picked it up. Well, pretty uh, overarchingly glowing reviews from us. Shall we dive into the spoilers? Let's do it. Hi, I'm Bethany Finger, the host of Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast. Join me every week during my read-along journey through all of the books by author Marissa Meyer, one chapter at a time, spoiler free. Each episode will feature a different guest, new fan art, and laughter and joy through reading. You can find Prince Kai Fan Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other listening platforms. And now, back to the show. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So we wanted to start this discussion by talking a little bit about Queenie's mental health crisis. So although uh, Queenie definitely experiences ongoing anxiety and issues with self-esteem and so on as the book progresses, um, including grief associated with her miscarriage, which happens at the start of the novel, things really take a turn um, in the final act where she has a quote-unquote nervous breakdown, um, which is prompted by a massive blow-up with Cassandra and going on probation at work. So pretty significant Mm. stressful events happening there. And that results in really intense anxiety, um, panic attacks for the first time for her, uh, low motivation and energy, like Mm. in terms of like there being no energy. Yeah. 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 So pretty intense, I guess, depressive symptoms and anxiety and panic symptoms that she has. Mm. She's not given a diagnosis or anything as this book continues aside from her cousin Diana not diagnosing, but recognizing that Queenie's having a panic attack. Um, yeah. What did you think about her quote unquote nervous breakdown in this story? Oh, it was like watching a train crash. As I said before, it felt like it was building up to that point. So when it was finally happening, it's like not a release, but more like, yep. Okay. We were heading to this direction Mm -hmm. for a while now. And I think there were hints along the way that her mental health was not in the best place because she kept having those night terrors. Yeah. Yeah. And men would make comments about how she would talk in her sleep or fall out of the bed or hit them while she was asleep. Yeah, it's almost like an underlying anxiety mm. or something that's just kind of simmering below the surface for much of the novel where she's she seems mm. to be functioning on the outside in the very broad strokes term of, you know, she's going to work and, yeah. you know, has a roof over her head and all of that sort of thing, but isn't well, <laughs> definitely no. not well. And I mentioned dissociation before. I mean, to be clear, dissociation exists on a spectrum and on the very minimal end of it we all experience it every now and again you know we all go on autopilot or get lost in something that is really interesting to us but a lot of the time Queenie just kind of shuts down Mm -hmm. maybe not fully but just you know she stops engaging mentally in whatever's going on particularly in the sexual encounters that she has when men violate her boundaries yeah so that was also a sign that some she wasn't quite well the big triggers of course being um losing a significant friendship and some of the awful things that cassandra says to her which we'll talk about Mm. in a moment um and things happening with ted (laughs) so a lot of it's the relational things that are causing these ongoing issues and this is actually the second time i've read the book so um, I guess second time around, I was thinking about this with more of my psychology hat on, um, mm-hmm. as I didn't originally read this with the intention of psychoanalyzing mm-hmm. Queenie, but, uh, I was thinking about this crisis with more of an attachment and emotion regulation lens rather than what I think I was thinking about the first time around, which was more like situational anxiety and depression and panic attacks. Um, and, Look, we've talked about uh, attachment and trauma and all those things and how that might lead her to have 
an underlying vulnerability to mm. experiencing something like this. And look, I don't, I don't think that Queenie has borderline personality disorder, but I do think she has some traits that definitely sort of mm. made me think about this um, as something that, you know, maybe she's, she's just got a few, how do I phrase this? Subclinical. Yeah. Yeah. A few characteristics that made me think of BPD. So Mm. we've talked about a fear of abandonment. She obviously has a series of unstable and intense relationships, impulsive behaviors. Um, But one of the ones that really struck a chord with me was thinking about her unhealthy relationships through more of a self harming lens. Mm. As I've definitely heard about people with BPD who have stayed in abusive relationships or gotten themselves into really unsafe sexual situations in an attempt to cope with their Mm. inner turmoil and trauma. And that's not to say they're necessarily making a conscious choice to do that, but reflecting back on it, realizing that either to feel something or to cope with the situation Mm. or to feel wanted or needed, um, perhaps that was why Queenie one of the reasons why Queenie was getting herself into these situations I guess trauma was the lens that I was looking through while I was thinking about Queenie's mental health because as we talked about before she has all this predisposing incidents Mm -hmm. in her past that are traumatic but then she's she has the miscarriage and then she has all this awful encounters where her boundaries keep getting violated mm-hmm. you know there was one sex scene where the nurse thought that she was you know in a, an abusive relationship so that's not that's a form of trauma as well yeah so I feel like she's just dealing with so much trauma with no healthy emotion regulation skills at all and of course you know this this cultural and you know at least the family culture is that mental health doesn't it doesn't exist or it doesn't matter. Um, so she doesn't have the language to talk about these things at all. And is actively encouraged not to talk about them too. It's not just, yeah. I guess, a lack of awareness because she definitely gets to a point where she recognises that she needs help mm. but has people telling her not to get help. So, yeah, yeah even when she can recognise her own needs, that is being pushed mm. aside or... Um, you know, ignored or invalidated. In terms of therapy, uh, Queenie does go to therapy in this Mm. story, which is, of course, something that we always enjoy talking about when it comes up in books. Mm. And for the most part, has a pretty positive experience with therapy, Um, a bit of a rocky start, which is kind of Mm. normal, uh, definitely normal. But we see her working with her therapist and developing a pretty reasonable trusting relationship with her working Mm. through her current and former relationships and starting to untangle and understand what has led her to be feeling and acting and thinking the way that she does now. Mm. Um, We get some explicit discussion around distress tolerance techniques as well, which I really appreciated. So Queenie utilizing uh, deep breathing and a grounding technique too regularly throughout the um, latter parts of the book. Um, yeah, it was quite a 
quite a positive for the most part depiction of therapy I thought not like yeah. a rose colored glasses kind of thing yeah. of like you go to therapy and you're suddenly better yeah but it felt quite realistic to me yeah they don't discuss any particular therapeutic modality mm. but it seems to be you know the basic things that we do around practical strategies explore the root of your feelings and the way you believe you know the way you and the way you think about yourself and how that informs what you do and what you think. And the therapist actually acknowledged that, you know, the journey is not linear, yeah. which is, I think, what Queenie needed to hear because she probably didn't know a lot about therapy, really. Um, no, I don't think she did. <laughs> yeah. And can we please talk about Cassandra now? <laughs> yes, we uh, uh, mentioned her before, um, the blow up with Cassandra being one of the catalysts for Queenie's mental health crisis. But if you um, haven't read the book for a while, just a reminder that uh, what happens there is, oh, God, so awful. Uh, <laughs> Queenie, <laughs> Queenie finds out that she's been sleeping with Cass's boyfriend, mm-hmm. who is a terrible person, by the oh. way. <laughs> trash human trash human being um so he's the one that has really aggressive sex with queenie without Um, her consent definitely without enthusiastic consent at least like Mm -hmm. she doesn't necessarily say no yeah but But there was there was yes yeah there were times where she said something along the line of i don't want to do that or i'm not comfortable and he's just like "Eh." yeah he just is is very coercive um, mm. and ignoring her boundaries, and it's not not good, not no. at all. Uh, yes, but then Cassandra blows up at Queenie about it, blames her for this, and calls her damaged goods, which oh. is probably yeah. it's an awful thing to say to anyone. But I think for her, it was probably reinforcing awful beliefs that she had about herself mm. already. Um, which I think is one of the reasons why she spiraled after that. And it doesn't help that Cassandra's role in Queenie's life seems to be that sort of straight talking friend. Mm. It's like she always psychoanalyzes everyone and she can read them all really well, which can she? (laughs) Mm. Um, But she's played that role where she always calls out, you know, whatever other people are doing for what she believes it is. Mm -hmm. Doesn't she want to be a psychiatrist as well? Maybe. I don't remember. Potentially. I think she wanted to be some kind of therapist. Uh, yeah. But there's okay. that thing about, like, I think Queenie, to a degree, believes that Cass has that insight to people yeah. and chooses to deliver that insight very bluntly. So when Cass tells her she's damaged goods, Queenie takes that on board even even more so than she would mm-hmm. from anyone else. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. It's just like, what is that instinct to, to turn on your best friend over the guy who's actively cheating on you? <laughs> Look, it's awful, but I've known this to happen mm. um, to multiple people. We've seen it multiple times in like TV shows and movies where the person yeah. who's being cheated on blames the third person Mm -hmm. for the relationship troubles rather than their partner who's been doing the cheating Mm. yes I'm not saying that instinct doesn't exist it's more that yeah yeah I guess she did it she blew up in that moment but then 
dug her heels in like she moved yes she moved away with this guy and continued to be very cold to queenie and like rubbed it in queenie's face as well that she's moving away with guy and it's like it comes you know it goes from being a very angry in the moment thing to being an active choice yeah oh she doubles down on her own misguided beliefs yeah we should probably talk about these relationships that queenie has Uh, um because now we're in spoilers and we can yeah trash these men a bit more uh we probably don't have time to dissect all of them but maybe we can give our overall impressions and just Mm -hmm. acknowledge the worst of the red flags yes (laughs) so let's start with tom Mm. he's probably like quote-unquote the best guy we saw in the book (laughs) the bar is on the floor though (laughs) it's in the basement it's just so bad um but as we talked about there are obvious issues like not standing up to his racist family Mm -hmm. and kind of dismissing queenie's views around their racism and really you know again he's he's contributed to their poor communication Absolutely. Uh, and then we've got Addy. I feel like we're doing a bit of a lightning round here. Yeah. <laughs> bad, Terrible bad man. Yeah. <laughs> um, Addy, the neighbor who, you know, constantly seems to sexually harass Queenie at the start mm-hmm. of the book. It sounds like it's an ongoing issue. Um, and then quite content to cheat on his wife with Queenie. Yeah. Um, all while fetishizing her body and her blackness. Mm-hmm. Uh not the only person who does that, of course, but he's one of the more upfront and explicit about it. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's Guy. Yeah. Uh, everything about him is a giant – he's just a giant walking red flag, isn't yep. he? Yeah, yeah. And, like, there's nothing wrong, you know, we're not here to yuck your yum. Yep, we're um, not against um, yeah. BDSM or um, more rough sex or anything. But, yeah, as we've yeah. spoken about – he was not in, he was not um respecting her boundaries and the fact that he was rough enough to injure her to the point where a sexual health worker thought that she was in an abusive relationship mm. that's that's a sign that things were going way too far yeah that's awful and just yeah he treats her like she's i was going to say a vibrator but that's not the thing for guys is like <laughs> A flashlight. Sure, that. <laughs> yeah, he treats her like a sex toy, you know, not a human. I'm going to have to mark this episode as explicit, aren't I? <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, you yeah. can cut that out, but, you know. No, why would I cut that out? It's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's just does not respect her as a human being, ultimately. Yep. And, like, again, casual sex is okay. Yes. That's fine. But, if both parties are into it. Yes. <laughs> enthusiastic consent enthusiastic people. consent yep yeah um, and then we've ted. got ted so oh, ted was interesting because okay. uh i don't know when i f- first read it um i i at least briefly thought that maybe they were going to end up together mm-hmm. um that that was where the novel was leading that he would be the ultimate partner that she ends up with mm-hmm. but it didn't take too long for the red flags to come up with him as well so, yep. you know, he might seem to be a nice guy, but 
Not only does he cheat on his wife with Queenie, who of course doesn't know about said wife, mm. but then tries to get her fired for oh. harassment in the in the workplace. But that's also just stupid. Like they communicate via work emails. Yeah, there's actually proof about what he said to her. Yeah, it wasn't the most thought out contingency plan or whatever yeah. it was. Um, yeah, yeah. But he also repeatedly. Uh, pushes against her boundaries like yeah well I would never do that to you how can you do this to me I can't stop thinking about you you have to talk to me like boy get away (laughs) yep he sucks as well um Mm. and then briefly we've got Courtney uh who we don't we only really get one scene with him but he was annoying enough to be worth putting in here Mm. so He's the devil's advocate type, the alt-right kind of guy, not all men type, the all lives matter type, the basically mm-hmm. like a certain side of the internet. Yeah, good people on both sides, sides type. Yeah, insert vomit emoji here. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably a good thing that by the end of it, Queenie doesn't end up with any guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciate. Um yeah, I'm kind of glad it didn't end up with her finding a healthy relationship with a man or anything, though we get a sense of hope that maybe she's got, I guess, some more power or confidence in her ability to, uh, you know, at least identify some of the red flags, like she's feeling a bit better about it, um, maybe not quite in a space yet where she should be doing a whole bunch of dating. She yeah. gives it a try again by the end but has bad luck but. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that it didn't sort of wrap up like that. It would have been a little bit too neat. Yeah, and after all the bad men, I think I don't think we would buy it if she suddenly stumbles across one that is decent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, by the end of the book as well, we have we do have Queenie coping much better back at work. Mental health is more stable. She's got some coping strategies in place, and I really do love the final scenes. Mm. Um, with her and her family and closest friends um yeah and she talks to herself about you know well she's doing some what's the what do we call it helpful self-talk yes (laughs) (laughs) and there might be some healing in the future between Queenie and Cassandra but yeah I'm okay with that being a long road I'm okay with that friendship ending to be honest I don't think it actually will in the future of the story but mm. yeah I think I'm at least glad that it wasn't suddenly fixed it wasn't just a case of Cassandra apologizing and Queenie forgiving her and it all being okay yeah. they might need some more healing down the track yeah absolutely but at least Queenie has Cheska and Darcy and her family um Mm. things are healing between her and her mother as well we haven't talked much about her mother aside from mentioning um the history with domestic violence but you know interesting how she perceived her mother to have really failed to protect her as a child and a teenager and sort of reframing that now as her mother was doing the best that she could um obviously made still made some mistakes but she was suffering too Mm. suffering a lot at the hands of yeah. the stepfather. Yeah, so that relationship might also be on the men as well by the end yeah. of the book, which is nice. Yeah. 
What are some of your favorite moments from the book, Elise? Well, I think that I really enjoyed the group chats between the corgis, um, mm. particularly like the dynamic between Darcy and Cheska. I thought was really <laughs> cute and funny. I love when Darcy's like, what, what does that mean? And Cheska's like, do you know a thing called Urban Dictionary? <laughs> um, I did also enjoy, uh, as frustrating as it was, the scene with Courtney while she, I guess, argues back with him and manages to walk away with her dignity <laughs> intact mm. from that. Yeah. Um, the character growth that she showed there I thought was a nice thing, even though she was still uh, spending mm. time with some trash men. At least she was recognising they were trash and not yeah. just putting up with it, which I thought was nice. Yeah. Um, but probably my favourite moment was uh, the moment towards the end where her grandfather tells her that she's a fighter. Um, listening to that on the audiobook made me tear up a little mm. bit. <laughs> it was very sweet. How about you? What were some of your favourite moments? I love Cheska's scenes with Queenie. Like she's a delightful character to have around. <laughs> and I think she provides that lightness as well in the book. All her dates are entertaining. Like I think yes. just, Cheska gets the mildly rubbish men but not quite as trash as the men <laughs> that Queenie gets. So her um, dates are entertaining but not horrible. The one where she goes to the Thai restaurant. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the scene of Queenie explaining Black Lives Matter to her colleagues. It's it's very frustrating, especially with all the, you know, what about all lives matter? Mm. Um, but it's a, it's a very well-written scene in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, I love that ending where Queenie reminded herself that she is loved. But my favorite moment also has to do with Queenie's grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in that scene where her grandma's yelling at her and forbidding her from going to therapy, Queenie's grandfather walks into the room to find out what's going on. And and he actually tells grandma to let Queenie go. And he had this line, maybe if we had learned to talk about our troubles, we wouldn't carry so much on our shoulders all the way to the grave. Mm. He turned to walk out, his stick hitting the floor with purpose. Maybe we have to learn from this new generation, Veronica. (laughs) I love that. It's just, you know, it's such a good insight from a guy who doesn't actually say a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I love that we both highlighted moments with Queenie's grandfather, who's really not present for that much of the book, but is very impactful. I know. When he is. The only decent man in the entire <sighs> book. <laughs> Praise Queenie's grandfather. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that actually wraps up our full review. So let's briefly touch on our discussion questions. Mm-hmm. So as per usual, we're going to post a few discussion questions, both to our Instagram and on the blog post that goes with this episode. Um, They'll go up over the next couple of weeks. So if you've read the book, please feel free to join in the discussion. Yeah. So question one. Many people on Goodreads didn't like the character Queenie because of her poor decision making. What makes a flawed character likable or unlikable to you? Question two. If Queenie had actually been written as a Bridget Jones style rom-com, how do you think the story would go? Question three. Queenie emphasizes the importance of strong, supportive female friendships. What other books, TV shows, or movies show this too? Question four. 
In this episode, we talk a lot about relationship red flags. Are there any red flags in Queenie's relationships that we missed or haven't touched on? All right. So uh, just briefly, we will mention some of the resources that we're going to link to on our website, on the blog post that accompanies this episode. So we'll include some information about some of the techniques that Queenie uses in the book to manage her anxiety. Uh, We'll provide some information around consent, in particular enthusiastic consent. And I'll also link to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, which is an award-winning podcast dedicated to encouraging mental wellness of black women and girls. And now let's find out what our July book is. Drum roll. It is Challenger Deep by Neil Schusterman. A little bit about Challenger Deep. Caden Bosch is a brilliant high school student whose friends are starting to notice his odd behavior. Caden Bosch is designated the ship's artist-in-residence to document the journey with images. Caden Bosch pretends to join the school track team, but spends his days walking for miles, absorbed by the thoughts in his head. Caden Bosch is split between his allegiance to the captain and the allure of mutiny. Caden Bosch is torn. Okay, so Challenger Deep was your recommendation. It's a very fascinating portrayal of what I think is an underrepresented mental health issue. Um, is it a spoiler to say it's it's schizophrenia? I don't think it's a spoiler because we'll probably have that quite upfront yeah. <laughs> by saying we're talking about schizophrenia. Yeah, Caden experiences early onset schizophrenia essentially, but that's not spelt. You know, you don't know that that's happening. So the book is written in quite an interesting format where we flip back and forth between his two quote-unquote lives and mm-hmm. then and then we start to make sense of it as the story goes, as he makes sense of what's going on as well. I love Neil Schusterman's writing. You and I both enjoyed the Ark of the Scythe series. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I read this one over 24 hours or maybe 48 hours while on holiday. Wow. Well, I've been meaning to read this for ages, so I'm looking forward to reading it. And I have a 100% like rate with Neil Shusterman's work so far. Yeah. So it can only be good, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And that wraps us up for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on novelfeelings.com or on Instagram, Twitter, The Storygraph, and Goodreads at novel underscore feelings. You can also find my bookstagram at pavedwithbooks with an extra S. It is currently alive. Yay. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you can catch us for Challenger Deep in July. Take care. Bye.